0: Welcome out there. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week, we are doing Mortal Kombat. I'm sorry, no. (laughs) (laughs) The Princess Bride. We had long planned to do Mortal Kombat. A video game, Mortal Kombat, a video game. Um, So I, you know, I was excited to get into that, but something odd has happened with Mortal Kombat. It pushed. I think it is out on the twenty third. And so, on top of that, I am moving. My whole life is in the air. My whole life is in boxes right now. (laughs) So, um, and I just got the uh,
1: I just got the second dose of the vaccine. So I'm in ill form. So if The audio's (laughs) echoey, or I sound dead, (laughs) whatever. We want to do this show for you guys,
0: (laughs) so bear with us. Nothing cool, nothing, yeah.
1: The reason Princess Bride is here is Nothing Cool is coming out, and this is a coveted classic, has been requested,
0: and so here we are. Little do the masses know, I think, that it's based on a book, and I'm really, really excited to get into this, because this isn't a title that I grew up with, but I know so many people did when i said this is what we were going to do this week in a pinch uh, my wife perked up uh, at the title um this is, i for the first time ever seeing it i watched it with her i think it was one of a big one for her childhood um so it's it's rather new to me i've seen, you know i saw it again recently and i likewise also
1: did not gravitate to it as a child because two things i cared nothing about as an 11 year old boy princesses and brides <laughs> right <laughs> and What's so odd now looking into it is, oh, that's the exact opposite of what it's premising to be. It's about this – little, at least in the film, this little boy who doesn't want to hear a story about that.
0: Right. I think I'm exactly the same – I was at the same level with you there. I, yeah. I, I just never had any access to it. I confused it, to be honest, with The Princess Diaries. <laughs> The 2001. Which is understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah the, the 2001 Anne Hathaway film, which yeah. is – exactly it, that movie is what I think I thought Princess Bride was. I right. think it just <laughs> conflated them in my mind, I swear. Um, <laughs> so we
1: thought not for us, but it definitely is for – and is a kind of a comfort-endearing thing that even in the subtext of the film, the kid is being told the story – While he has an illness, I think a lot of people, even in pandemic times as well, are like, oh, this is – the grandfather is telling me the story. It's like cinema chicken soup for the soul. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And even (laughs) extending beyond that, this is the scope. Rob Reiner, the director, was saying – he was probably not even 30. He had made the film. This woman said, the princess bride saved my life. And he said, oh, how? How? And she was saying, I do extreme skiing, and we got caught in this avalanche with my group, and she showed him her frostbite was still healing. And oh. she said, I kept everybody alive because I knew the Princess Bride by heart, and I recited out every line and kept everybody's spirits up until we got rescued.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So it, does, it has such a – and even – yeah, the lines are so quotable. Yeah. Yeah, how much – and I always saw them. I was like, what What the heck is this? Uh, <laughs> but now we now – Join along with us as we learn where this came from, why is it so endearing and comforting and longing, and how did it get made to be that way? So excited you guys are here with us. (laughs) Starts with a book called The Princess Bride. The subtitle is S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure. And then Mm -hmm. the sub-subtitle is, quote, the Good Parts version, quote, abridged by William Goldman. (laughs) Okay. So very confusing. It's a book... Getting this out of the way, because it sort of ties into the way that the film is done, where it's this framing device, the literary term, of the grandfather reading this to the kid, and he doesn't like it, and then he starts to like it. The actual book that is written is all a fake framing device, and so everything I say— until I say it's not, is fake, is not actually what the book is. There is no S. Morgan Stern. There is a William Goldman, but none of this actually happened to him in terms of framing why he wanted to abridge this. Legend. So, so here's <laughs> – I know amazing. that's confusing, but here's, here's how it works. Goldman's dad – and again, all fake – an immigrant who knew <laughs> little English reads this book aloud to him as a kid when he has pneumonia – called S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and I Adventure the Princess Bride, but he's never actually read it as a person because his dad only ever read it aloud to him. So then when right. he becomes a dad, William Goldman, he's excited to find a copy and give it to his son, but it's you know they're estranged. He's working in Hollywood. His son puts it down after chapter one and said, eh, it just wasn't for me. So then he picks it back up and reads it. William Goldman, Mm -hmm. and is like, oh, this is not at all what my dad read to me. It's actually a satire of the politics of the, again, all of this is fake, country of Florin, where Morgenstern Uh was from, and his dad had been skipping all the political junk and telling him only the good parts. So Uh the book then, it moves him to create an abridged version, again, all fake, with (laughs) notes, and there are notes uh, jutting in in the chapters summarizing what he removed, the commentary of the asides of what his dad told him. It's at least one or two per chapter. And so the first 25 pages of this book are him explaining all of this and his life in Hollywood and his family and why he's abridging it. Again, none of that is real. Oh my god! <laughs> so it even keeps kind of with the storytelling. You know, they cut in, and a lot of the cut-ins. Oh yeah. There's a point where the uh, shrieking eels Getting are going after her. Getting the
0: tone evoked immediately here. I mean, yeah. may, may, I hope that's what Rob Reiner was going for, but mm-hmm. the you know the, the stark absurdity of this is really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because the the jutting in where he's
1: like, "Oh, my dad told me beforehand," or even when. Wesley gets murdered and he gets, you know, he's worried that's how it ends really. And he says, you know, all of that is in the book as him remembering how his dad told it to him and this is why he's cutting out. And it's hilarious too. It kind of fits with the Rob Reiner spinal tap mockumentary stuff as well, like why he would be drawn to this
0: material. You actually introduced me to Rob <laughs> Reiner. Uh, we, uh, I had never watched any of his films. In freshman year of college, you showed me Spinal Tap in my dorm. It was a life-changing experience. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen it? You had seen it, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I said, this yeah. is exactly our style of comedy. It's weird. <laughs> it's irreverent. It's, it's kind of like the naked gun films in a way. Like just everybody goes along with the insanity. Which changed my
0: thing. life. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> So you could see how, where he's just cutting in the author in the book and being like, and at this point, Morgan Stern, this is just 60 pages, and I talked to a scholar and they said, this is an amazing, biting satire of the politics of this country, but my dad just <laughs> cut all of this out, so I'm going to cut it all out, too. I love it. Um, so anyways, that's all that. <laughs> this is beautiful. I have to mention one particular part of the commentary, because it does apply to the film because part of the commentary it's an abridged version so he says he adds nothing to the original text and in there's a point in the story where it's the reunion between Buttercup and Wesley and it's in the film it's after the ravine and they fall down and he reveals himself and all of that that in mm-hmm. this fake in this fake Morgan Stern guy who wrote this he objected to putting that in there because he thought oh it's gratuitous and the the readers already know it and so Again, Goldman, yeah. in his fake version of wanting to adapt this, said, I wanted to add this in. So, within the book, he said he invites any reader who wants to read the scene that he wrote, but because of legal matters, they couldn't put it in here to write to the publisher and request a copy of the scene of them reuniting. So, oh. a ton of people wrote the publisher <laughs> because this is in the book, <laughs> being like, hey, we, you know. Playing along with the bit, and then oh the publisher also played along with the bit. So they would send people back letters, but not the scene, but the, a letter explaining the legal problems they encountered with the Morganstern yes. estate and his lawyer Kermit <laughs> Shog. And so they continue to do this, and the letter gets updated throughout the years. So, the 1987 letter, if you wrote to them after that, mentions the movie and the complications with it being made. The 25th anniversary version of the book mentions how Kermit's oh granddaughter God. is carrying on this problem. And then the 30th anniversary version of the book gives you a link online saying, We can finally release it, but it's just all of the letters compiled. It's still, so the scene <laughs> never exists except for in the film. So, I just thought that was amazing. That's that, amazing. <laughs> that like, anytime the company, like,
0: doubles, like gets in on a bit, is beautiful.
1: <laughs> in Into real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just looking into this bit. I was so confused being like, what is actually any of this? Because William Goldman is a real person. We'll get to him in a second. But what he's pulling from in terms of the type of story this is, there is actually a precedent genre, which I had never heard of before, called, oh. yeah, it's called Ruritanian romance. Ruritanian romance.
0: Never heard of it, no.
1: Yeah, it is a literature, film, theater genre. It's about a story that is set in a fictional country, usually in Central or Eastern Europe, typically adventure, high romance, about the ruling class. And it's usually about a government that was a dictatorship and needs to be restored to its rightful place. And this comes from... Like Zorro. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. These comes from this 1894 book where that is the subject, and the the name of the fake country is called Ruritania. And I actually saw this is even used as a placeholder. The term during like international law, hypothetical law cases, where they don't want to explicitly name a country, they will say Ruritania uh-huh.
0: in the legal proceedings, oh. which is super interesting. This is all so s- more silly than I could have expected. Yeah, This is so yeah. much more silly than, I, than mm-hmm. I could have hoped to have imagined.
1: No, I love it. And even the the verbiage, like I said, the cutaways, the jokes, the lines are pretty much pulled word for word. Right. All the notable lines, maybe it's in a different place or slightly, you know, but it, it is all there. But the whole setup for what the book is, is completely different. But yeah. the way in terms of adapting, you can't... Take, well, yeah, it's, you, know, you know, it's he, a book. <laughs> right.
0: No, exactly. What it seems like what Rob Reiner and the filmmakers were really successfully able to do is get the tone of this silliness and, mm-hmm. and infuse it throughout the filmmaking process. I mean, it, 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 the, I'm laughing hearing all of this because I'm thinking of the movie. Because mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like Rob Reiner comedy almost. You know, it's, it's obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful that this land that this material ended up in his hands. It really, it really is. Because he's made mm-hmm. a career out of doing this. Um, yeah. This is, this is fantastic.
1: So I'll get to him, I promise, when we get to the No, film of course, being I, know, made, and I, I wanted to, know. I'm
0: biting at the bits.
1: <laughs> oh, of course. But the 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 author, William Goldman, is where I spent the bulk of my time. Focusing on because I didn't know anything about him, but you definitely know probably almost everything he's done. He's a master adapter and we talk about I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the whole show of illiterate is like adapter. Our new show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just focused on him. But he's more known for screen. He's more known for screenwriting than book writing. And in fact, he adapted this book like he's the screenwriter of
0: the Princess Bride. So he just gets hired to do, to to do that. He just gets hired to adapt books into screenplays because he's a master yeah. at it. And
1: he even adapted his own book, The Princess Bride, into the screenplay. So he worked wow. with Rob Reiner on this. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Well, let's just jump to him straight away. Like I said, novelist, screenwriter, also playwright. He has written 16 oh, yeah. novels, four plays, and 33 scripts that got made. Wow. Wow! Obviously, that Hollywood got
0: made. Wow! Think yeah. of the ones that didn't get made. Oh my yeah. gosh!
1: And he has won two Academy Awards for Best Screenplay. Wow! And on the WGA Writers Guild of
0: America, 101 Greatest Screenplays,
1: he has three. Whoa! On that.
0: yeah, it's amazing he has kept such a low profile with these stats. If he was yeah, a baseball man. player, you'd have cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. William Goldman, professional,
1: <laughs> adapt- greatest. Yeah. So here's. Uh, <laughs> where in the world he comes from and how does he get good at this and what is his strategy for all of this his father was a successful <laughs> yeah. his yeah his father was a successful businessman in chicago alcoholism unfortunately sank his business and then a quote from william mm. said he came home in pajamas for the last 5 years of his life and sorry to start tragically but he actually committed suicide mm. while william was still in high school and talking about oh, father and son stuff and interpreting things i mean we'll see yeah. like that's a big piece of it. Uh, Goldman right. got his arts degree in '52. Was an editor of a, the literary magazine at college, but he was horrible. He submitted his short <clears throat> pieces anonymously, even though he's the editor. And then they do a roundtable; nobody wanted his, even though he was oh, in charge no. of it. They were like, "This is trash."
0: Uh, <laughs> oh gets, no! Yeah. <laughs> so that's already off to a rough start. Gets. Oh, he's uh, been dr- living off of that fuel of that defeat ever yeah. since that that's, yeah, for sure. that's propelled Well, it, it, comes,
1: <laughs> it comes back and forth with the oscillation between screenwriting and novel writing. And mm-hmm. I find we see that so often with like, maybe even to a certain extent, Philip Dick or whoever, where they're like, Dr. Seuss, like right. they want to be quote unquote, you know, capital W writers. And this is a different thing from <laughs> them. Right. Yeah. I'm a writer. Yeah. <laughs> to write. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, drafted into the war, becomes a typist in the Pentagon- and that's his effort during World War II, gets his master's at Columbia in 56, continues to try and write short stories, struggles to have them published, did not intend, like we said, Mm -hmm. to become a screenwriter. His main interests, poetry, short stories, novels. His brother, James Goldman, also famous, Mm -hmm. was becoming a playwright and screenwriter. The other two things that he does not want to do. And for a time, they lived in New York in an apartment together with his friend, John Cander, who was getting his PhD in music. So, just a very creative okay. after college petri dish. Cander goes on to write Cabaret in Chicago, insane ah, musical. Very cool. Okay. You know, the massive, and all three of them eventually will go on to win Academy Awards. Oh, my gosh. So, that's pretty wild. How
0: fantastic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goldman starts, he finally says, I'm going to do the novel thing. Writes his first novel in 56 with these guys around him. In three weeks, he finished it. Because he was so scared. He's like, I'm going to end up working oh. at an ad agency or something. I don't want to do it all. Got that fire, baby. Yeah. Sold well <laughs> enough <laughs> got to, fire, to- Got fire. Got that yeah. wrist. <laughs> he's ready to go. Launches his career. And then collaborates on musicals and playwriting with his brother and that guy, John Kander. Mm-hmm. And- Wrote another novel after a ton of writer's block based on The Boston Strangler, but it was published under a pseudonym, Harry Longbow, which is the Sundance Kid's name, which he'd been researching that story for a while. Oh,
0: interesting. Um, I wonder why why did he do that? Do you know?
1: I I couldn't find exactly why he did that. I think it was just because he was trying to get something else out there. Gotcha. Um, Okay. Yeah. So-
0: if they don't want that, how yeah. <laughs> this?
1: Yeah, and it's a, and yeah, you know, the Boston Strangler. It's more of a thriller kind of thing, right? So Cliff Robertson, who won the Academy Award for Best Actor in the film Charlie.
0: I only know I him met as him. Uncle.
1: Um, oh, really?
0: <laughs> no, I did. I uh, I did meet him uh, at an air show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. They hold the largest <laughs> air show in the country, I think. My dad's a, a a private pilot, and so we went one year, and he was there because he did many World War II mm-hmm. aerial films. Um, but he's more famously known as Uncle Ben in the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. So I knew. Right exactly who he was from that point of view. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I did like meet him. him. I have a picture with him uh, before, he, oh, that's before he passed away. Not to, A few years after that, he ended up passing yeah. away. But yeah, I did meet him. <laughs> but he, so he's he comes into
1: the mix. This is before yes. he won the Academy Award and everything, because he had read an early draft of this Boston Strangler book that Goldman okay. wrote under the pseudonym and hired him to adapt Flowers for Algernon.
0: And it switched writers, and and that's what eventually. Now I know where I am. Now I know where I am. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it eventually becomes the film Charlie that he acts in and wins the award and everything. But he was dropped from that. But it was this is his first taste of adapting a book to a film. Gotcha. And so a producer optioned one of his novels. Now he's getting into the film world kind of thing. And Goldman says, "Hey, I could adapt a different novel as a film, while this is in the mix." Mm -hmm. And so that film becomes Harper with Paul Newman, which was this kind of homage to the Sam Spade mystery stories. Oh, wow. yeah, so now he's okay. got this under his belt as his own thing, saying, hey, I can do this. Mm-hmm. But he's not hes not quite into it yet. He's trying to return back to novels and teaches at Princeton, still can't write any novels, but decides to write his first original screenplay, which is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance hmm. Kid, wow. which has now okay. been eight years in the making and was sold – yeah. for the highest price ever paid for an original screenplay at the time. Wow. $400,000. Oh
0: and then it earned him the Oscar. Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> and that was four... yeah. That was 40 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Pushing, pushing 50? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. So
1: now we get into some of the Princess Bride stuff, because he had written a few more adapted screenplays and then written a sequel to one of his earlier novels. Okay. But had gotten a rare strain of pneumonia And Mm. he was hospitalized and it affected his health for months. This gave him a burst of creativity. And this is where he does the princess I caught the bug. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which is funny because that's what happens with, in the book, that's what the framing story, which is fake, is him as a kid getting pneumonia. And this is when his dad reads this book. But the writing process for this, he was telling stories to his daughters who are age four and seven at the time. Perfect. One wanted stories about princesses, one wanted them about brides, and so he said, fine. Uh-huh. Princess, <laughs> bride, both of them, <laughs> two for one. Uh, and, you know, purposely- <laughs>
0: Well, I got something for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: He picks silly names, Buttercup, Humperdink, uh, thinks I'm going to turn <laughs> these ideas that I was telling my daughters into a story, a novel. Wrote the first chapter mm-hmm. about Buttercup, 20 pages long. Wrote the second one about the groom for four pages and then ran dry, mm-hmm. and was just like, what is uh, what is this even, gonna, what is this, what it, you know, the judgment voice. Right, right. And so he right, had said, right. Tennessee Williams, the famous playwright, says there are three or four days when he's writing a play that a piece opens itself up to you, and the good parts are all from those days. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> where, mm-hmm. you know, all of it can be boiled down to just that, and so... He realized, right. he was like, oh, that's what this story is. It's the good parts. And, rem- you know, he's he's in the Beverly Hills Hotel and it all comes out. And he's like, I never felt as strongly connected emotionally to anything like this in my life. And it was such a contrast wow. to the film world. And he's like, I want to be a novelist again through this. Aww. And he does. I mean, and it's amazing. And the book did well. He fell
0: back in love with it. <laughs> yeah. But you could
1: even see, especially where it ties directly into the deep, deep emotions of him and his dad. Oh, for sure. And it's almost. Oh, a, for a, sure a Spielberg-y kind of, I got to get this out, but it can't be done in a screenplay right now. (laughs) But interestingly, he also writes the adapted screenplay at that time, and people are interested in it, but it doesn't become anything just yet. Mm -hmm. That's in 73 is when this comes out. Okay, So back to life, back on the horse, writes, (laughs) and you've heard of all these things potentially, Marathon Man as a Mm -hmm. book, and then becomes the Dustin Hoffman thing. The Stepford Wives, the screenplay he wrote. Wow. And then the adaptation of All the President's Men, based on the book. Uh, Follow the Money is his original line. That's not in the book. It's not in the notes. It's not in real life. Oh, cool. Deep Throat didn't actually say that. He came up with that. But he did not like how it turned out. He said, I never would have touched it if I could go back and do it. He just said, I had never written as many versions as I did for that film. Oh, uh, okay. Wrote many more screenplays, A Bridge Too Far, The Original Writer for the Right stuff, the uh, okay. pilot space one. Yeah. Again, yes. all based on novels. Uh, but his his work is lessening in Hollywood. Here's the kicker that I found that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is amazing. I got a copy of it. It's his memoir now, as he's, you know, getting a little more jaded, <laughs> more cynical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing he's he has a huge body of work. He's catty and ready to gossip. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) So the book is called Adventures in the Screen Trade. It came out in 83. Mm -hmm. One of the first lines that has now become tied to him is, nobody knows anything. And that's so true of Hollywood being like, nobody wanted Star Wars. Nobody wanted Twilight. You know, like nobody knows anything. And that's what he's (laughs) come to realize. Thank God. Because he was also saying, yeah, the 81-82 holiday season there was 16 films released by major studios. Ten of the 16 each lost more than 10 million dollars. It's like whoa. they don't know what the audience wants. You know, like they didn't so, even have a, they didn't even have computers doing it for them back then. Yeah, the algorithm to tell us <laughs> they don't know. It's all and even still, you know, Queen's Gambit took
0: seriously. Forever. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So I want to read this, and I, and I skimmed through it. There's three parts to it. The first one is essays on Hollywood. If you're interested in Hollywood in the 80s, that time, oh, yeah. writing screenplays, movie stars, the business, his perspective. The second part is stories from the 11 projects he's worked on in Hollywood. And then the third... And this is amazing to me, Mm -hmm. is he is explaining moment by moment how he would adapt his short story. He wrote a short story called Da Vinci into a screenplay. So he's got the short story. He's got how he would adapt it into a screenplay. And then he's got (laughs) interviews with people in the film industry about how you make creative choices, why you would do certain things, what works in the two different mediums. Oh, man. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, man. (laughs) He's got the toolkit, baby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's his, yeah, it's the Bible of like, hey, I'm the adapting yes.
0: master. Here's what amazing. I think about. Yeah. How have so we, we not run into this dude yet? We've been doing this show <laughs> two years. We have never heard his name
1: before. I know. <laughs> the fountain, the well is deep. The fountain is full. It's incredible. Uh, so he comes back to Hollywood after this memoir. And again, adapting script versions of two of his books, Heat with Burt Reynolds and The Princess Bride. Oh, my God. And in 87. So this is now finally, Rob Reiner is coming back in. He's just done Spinal Tap and is working on Stand By Me. Here we and go. And so he's just go, enamored baby. with Goldman. In his this prime. is like, uh, yeah, this is, but this is a master, Goldman, with a young upstart. And so we Paramount are had said, on track. <laughs> Paramount had said, hey, we want to make what you want to make. And he said, no, you don't. And they said, yes, we do. And he said, (laughs) the princess bride. And they were like, no, 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 we can't do that. It's been tried. Because Rob Reiner had been enamored with Goldman's book. Carl Reiner, his dad gave it to him as a gift when he was in his 20s and was just like, this is amazing. I love this. And so now he has a shot to turn it into a thing. But they said, no, even though you're our golden boy right now, you can't do it. Because Fox had tried way back in 73, like I said, when it came out. The head of production was fired. The film was put on hiatus. A bunch of different directors were on and off just the Hollywood game. Goldman bought back the rights with his own money. So now he's got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Power Um, move. That's incredible. mm -hmm. So... And this is interesting part of the the casting. When Goldman originally shopped it around in the early seventies, he had wanted Andre the Giant, but his schedule made him unavailable. And the second choice was Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was unknown basically at the time as an actor. But then, when eighty six uh-huh. rolls around and Goldman and Reiner are coming together, Arnold is now too expensive. <laughs> He's become famous,
0: and. Yep. It totally Andre flipped. the Giant, He's one of the most uh, bankable stars on the planet. Yeah, then. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Andre the Giant couldn't do it because he was
1: wrestling full time and he had a match that was worth five million dollars. And Rob Reiner's like, "Well, that's half Whoa! our budget. Like, we can't." He's oh never going gonna... to. They're like, "You need to give him $5 million," and they said, "We can't do that." So they auditioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Ferrigno. Um, wow, bunch of anybody All of that the
0: was heavy tall. Hitters. They
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they said big. we want him. <laughs> Luckily, at the last second. The World Wrestling Federation said the match was canceled. It's not happening. So that's how they were able to get him.
0: No way for that. Wow, like a just last, by chance like that. Think about thing. and yeah. think about the movie without him too. Yeah, because that would that definitely would create a hole. I couldn't. You can't see who. I mean, it, you can't see anybody else in that role. Mm-hmm. It'd have to be a completely, you know, a, a whole different character. Yeah. Then um, um, and it was that thin that that he's in the movie. That's incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. there's There's much more connections to to the source material with the actors. so Carrie Elway, who mm-hmm. plays Wesley, his stepdad had given him the book in 75 when he was 13 years old. so he knew all about oh, it. Oh
0: cool. It was like yeah. the
1: anti-us who didn't know it as a kid. He knew it as a kid like, oh, <laughs> this character and then he gets No, well, 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 I know this I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> It's me yeah. And then Mandy Patinkin who plays Montoya his real life father had passed away from cancer when he was 53. So when he fights mm. Christopher Guest in it and he says, I want my father back, he was really channeling. That's his whole character is is this vengeance. And he was yeah. embodying you know, cancer and the unfairness of it all into the character. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I so that. the rest of uh, William Goldman's progression, he works with Reiner again, In 1990, because they're going to adapt another thing, (laughs) Stephen King's Misery, one of his least, yeah, one of his
0: least adaptable novels, which, of course, I just watched this (laughs) for the, I think for, I might have seen it once when I was a child, but I just watched it for the first time just a few weeks ago. Incredible. I loved it. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. Yeah, that's a William Goldman adaptation. Oh, my God. He is the man. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So he continues (laughs) to work into his later years as a script doctor and is uncredited on a billion films, but some of the ones that he worked on was Twins, A Few Good Men, lots of stuff into the 90s. One of the ones I'm
0: seeing, I just pulled him up because I'm like, who is this guy? I'm pulling him up now and I see when it goes to his written buys, and then it kind of switches over to uncredited and he starts doing some other things and I see a big title that's poking out at me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Ghost and the Darkness. Do you know anything about that? (laughs) I have never. No, I don't know anything about that. Based on a true story, this is about a bridge engineer who is building bridges through Africa, and there are lions hunting and killing the workers. So they bring Mm. in like a a lion, like a kind of a Jaws story. But it was all real. And I think the lions are still like on preservation in the Smithsonian. But uh, it's got Val Kilmer and uh, Michael Douglas and William Goldman wrote it, and so it 's them hunting lions in the in africa oh, wow. i 've loved it since I was a kid it's a it 's a dark <laughs> movie, but i 've loved it since I was yeah. a kid and the way they do it there 's no c g they use real lions it's it 's an awesome movie. It was on Netflix not mm. too recently, so yeah, I love this movie so I love william goldman <laughs> it 's definitely you could see in the '90s as it rounds out he
1: has got his finger in every pie every famous star and which is what's uh-huh. so great about his memoir too where he's talking about hey this is the business at this time like what a better oh, person I gotta read this i gotta to read discuss this. yeah yeah i picked up a copy because i'm like this is wonderful to learn I, yeah
0: got it i'm getting I'm, I'm getting one i'm getting a copy. <laughs> i'll put the link amazing. in the show notes i smiling yeah.
1: so wide right now <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the last things he does in his life close to it, is Adapts Misery into a Stage Play in 2015. Oh, cool. And then he died in 2018 at the age of 87. Mm-hmm. And like I said, two Academy Awards. Fascinating. Best Original Screenplay for Butch Cassidy and Best Adapted oh Screenplay gosh. for All the President's Men. So, oh my gosh. just as a rounding out kind of the thematics of father and son and adaptation and what is important in an adaptation... He had said, I don't like my writing. I wrote a movie called Butch Cassidy and a novel called The Princess Bride. And those are the only two things, not that I'm proud of, but that I can look at without humiliation.
0: Oh. So he
1: always was the harshest critic of his stuff. But interesting that both of those are his own thing that, that is he true. pulled from the heart, worked hard at and said, this is my story.
0: So he never felt like he got close enough when he was, you know, working on somebody else's pitch or he's trying to yeah. do something based on, you know, based on truth, based on history, he never quite hit it close even, enough to the mark. That's even, really yeah. fascinating.
1: Even best adapted for the all the presidents, but he said, like he said he's like they don't if know I had to anything. One, yeah, and if I had to pick one of all my movies to not do, it would have been that one.
0: And like him winning so the like, award is like his like own like self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like they don't know yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I I, I didn't win. I shouldn't have won. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he
1: still he still is tied to the novel stuff, which is I think why the Princess Bride hits so close to home with him because it was like I said originally a novel for sure. But it's a weird (laughs) pseudo adaptation in and of it's like a fake adaptation. I love it's it's, it's,
0: it's a frame within a frame. It's so goofy. It's so funny. No, it's just said, fascinating that the movie is uh, that has that 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 feel. I mean, I love I I love that they were able to get that tone. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of the tone,
1: there is a section of the book that is not a part of the film. And interesting that he did both, and kind of speaks to his perspective on novels versus films. Because he said okay. screenplay writing, he said screenplay writing is not an art form. And he he said that in 83 (laughs) when his memoir was published. He was like, it's a skill. It's structure. He's like, I don't mean to knock it. It, It's not easy. But if it's all you do, you may get lucky and rich, but you sure won't get happy. I think he just Uh, saw the novel as something else and something more. And it's – like I said, in terms of – I just felt his
0: hand on my shoulders. I just felt his hand on my shoulder, (laughs) shaking it side to side. like, you don't want
1: this. (laughs) Or the the piece that he got for himself because – so. In the in the novel, which I went through to the end, and this is different in the film, mm-hmm. like I said, he came up with both. He adapted his own book. But in the book, the author finds out William Goldman, the fake version of himself talking to his fake dad, after finding the book again, finds out that his father skipped the final section. Because in the film, oh, they yeah. ride off into the sunset. But in the book and the fake book... Wesley falls off his horse and Ego's wounds reopen. Buttercup's oh. horse throws a shoe. Humperdinck can be heard catching up in the distance. And he oh said, God. oh, my father protected that part of life from Whoa. me. And the the last line of the book is life isn't fair. It's just fairer than death. That's all. Wow. Which is completely missing from the film. And interesting that he also changed that. And so here's what I found. And I, I, I don't know where I saw this quote, but it's, just like the book is the Good Parts version of the Princess Bride story, the movie is the Good Parts version of the book. That's crazy. That's right. <laughs> oh and isn't god. that adaptation? Isn't that adaptation? Isn't that exactly oh, what? Oh man, he was
0: this is blowing my mind. To- <laughs> this <laughs> is incredible, Taylor. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. So, oh my god. <laughs> I couldn't believe I found that at the end and, and like <laughs> connecting it all together. This is but, beautiful.
0: Uh, oh my god! How incredible. So
1: a great episode for a week that nothing was happening. Because- yeah, for
0: real. Uh good Lord. No, I I this is incredible. This could this this was so much more than I could have ever hoped. It's so much more fun than I could have dreamed. Uh yeah. God, I have so much more respect yeah, check out- for it now. You know, not that I didn't <laughs> respect it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is like this is real deal stuff. This is amazing. <laughs> Dude, it's I am buying that memoir. That memoir sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the memoir sounds like exactly like what I want to hear. Uh, I went through I, it. I was like, "This can't be. Yeah. This can't be his the st-
1: the short story, and then the script, and he's then him explaining that. line by line how he did it and why he did it and what he's thinking about as a writer adapting oh something." Oh my god, I gotta yeah. go get it. Yeah.
0: So uh, uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening. This is, this was such a this is such a ride. I'm I'm yeah. so, I couldn't be happier for a weird week. Um, we we will probably get to Mortal Kombat next week so hang tight for that uh, thank yeah. you guys so much um, catch us on illiterate pod at illiterate pod on Instagram let us know what you are into you never know what we will do so just <laughs> talk to us I promise <laughs> we, we, message we, us we always message back <laughs> All right. we love you guys uh, stay safe and we will talk at you next week later